What's up, boys and girls? Josh Belcher, host of the Josh Belcher Uncharted podcast. Hope you're staying healthy and safe and quarantined. This is the first week of the coronavirus scare outbreak uh, and the uh, this edition of the Josh Belcher Uncharted podcast. We've got special guests this week, comedian Killer Bees and Scott Lucas, frontman of the rock group Local H. So I uh, hope uh, you can listen to this and it'll get your mind off of some of the woes that are going on. And I pray for your safety and well-being. If you just need somebody to talk to, hit me up. Uh, you can find me on Facebook or you can email me, joshbelcher at hotmail.com. I uh, hope you're having a uh, great week as can be expected. And we will uh, get on with the podcast. Uh, also, special thanks to uh, church comedian Brandon Skelton for being my co-host in this first segment. And away we go. This week on the uh, first uh, quarantine edition of the Josh Belcher Uncharted podcast, COVID 19's got us stuck in the house. Uh, proud to present alongside co host Brandon Skelton, we talked to comedian, hilarious, funny man, Killer Bees. Killer Bees is currently in his fourth season of Discovery Channel's hit series, Moonshiners. He's touring and performing all over the world, all over the country. All over the continent or he was he's on highest right now but he's been doing it up for the last 38 years he just released a new dvd and download video there's that he's about to release a new video series of clean comedy killer bees presents which he'll be doing a lot of since he's got all this time fighting the covid virus from home so i look forward to all those videos he's going to be putting out and it's going to be featuring the stand-up of killer bees and some comics handpicked from all over the country He's had thousands of radio, television, and stage appearances. Bees has been entertaining audiences for over three decades, 38 years plus to be exact, uh, from what he told us. He's an award-winning artist and has been signed with both Sony and Warner Brothers Records and is just an all-around fantastic person. Very thankful to have him on the podcast. He uh, impaled some of his wisdom to us, uh, maybe really uh, pumped up to, uh, for him just to talk with us. Just a great person. Hope you enjoy it. He's up right now on Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast. Thrilled to have on the podcast one of the uh, one of the guys we're proud of is from the South, one of the best comedians ever to grace the stage of stand-up, Mr. Killer Bees. Thank you, sir, for taking the time. <laughs> hey, my pleasure. How in the world are you guys doing? Oh, we are doing well, sir. Doing well. Glad to be talking with you today. Yeah, glad now, where you. in where in the world are you guys at? Where are y'all? Well, believe it or not, we're inside of a Planet Fitness in Columbia, Tennessee, right now. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, we uh, Brandon here is a stand-up comedian. He's also my boss at Planet Fitness, and I'm a weekend warrior counter person. Gotcha, gotcha. Yep. Well, Brandon's famous. He's the one that's hipped everybody to the uh, fact that it takes four months to grow a watermelon. <laughs> I, mean, well, you know, I figure a lot of people's taking up gardening now, uh, so it's, it's good they they know their time frame they're working with. Well, you <laughs> got to have that knowledge that breeds confidence. <laughs> oh yes, sir. Well, hey, you know, talking of comedy here, got got a question for you. Uh, yeah, man. So uh, I I know my fellow comedians, myself, even this past weekend. I uh, got a call, several shows canceled, you know, I was going to do one in uh, Texas and some in Virginia, 
and it's all coming down to, you know, not being able to have the large public gatherings and, you know, coronavirus and everything. Uh, have you experienced that yet? Or are you- yeah, yes, I have, man. As a matter of fact, I was in Orlando. I did Orlando, Florida on the 13th and the 14th, this last Friday and Saturday. And since then, uh, my entire tour has come to a stop. So mm-hmm. I've got the next two months in a row of cancellations. So just about everybody who performs out here for a living, who uh, these all us road dogs, man, we've been hit pretty hard by this. Yes, sir. So, uh, so you know, it's a it's a new, different, strange thing to be under this kind of situation, and everybody's uh, rightfully being. Um, very guarded with their monies and their travels and stuff, which, which it, from all indications that we all should, mm-hmm. um, but the uh, the people in the uh, the service and entertainment industry are really getting getting creamed on this. Right. Well, let me let me ask you kind of along that lines. Of course, uh, I've been able to connect with with guys like Jeff Allen, and I noticed he was going to be doing a Facebook live. Uh, stream. I think it's tonight called Quarantine Comments with Tim and Shonda, um, Bonehampton, and Ken Davis. You know, this this things comedians are, are finding to do is stay connected and out there and, and still, you know, working at their craft. Uh, is there anything that you have, like a game plan of things that you've lined up uh, to kind of still stay engaged with the public and, uh, you know, still working in the comedy game? Yeah, I think I'm going to do a bunch of uh, video projects. I think I'm going to do that. And and that may change. Uh, like I said, I just did the last show of this of this tour on Saturday night. So right now, I've just been kind of catching the catching my breath and um, stocking up the house on things we not that we might need. So uh, we're going to do uh, some video projects right now. I'm going to do some stuff that's a play off of my uh, appearances on uh, the Discovery Channel on the show Moonshiners. Yeah. I think awesome. I'm going to go do some uh, some moonshining videos and just and a bunch of different stuff while we get get a handle on it. I've had some people approach me about doing some some uh, cyber shows, some virtual shows. We haven't really looked into that hard yet because, like I say, we're still right now just fresh off the road and had already been scheming um, toward these video projects. So we'll see, you know, man, that you know, we may have enough time to do a whole bunch of different stuff. But mm-hmm. I can tell you this, and Brandon knows this, if you go for a while without getting on, on without getting on stage, you totally can feel that ring rust. I mean yes, that's sir. a um I've never been out of work, you know, it's been a blessed career of thirty eight years and I've been lucky enough to uh to have had and sustained bookings, you know, so it's going to be a weird thing not to uh, constantly practice and keep that edge sharp. Right. Uh, you know, I'd, I've always felt that, that like, uh, for example, in December, doing a lot of church shows, I'll, I'll stay booked every weekend in December and do a lot, and then usually January, especially managing the gym, I'll pull off comedy for a month, and then I jump back in come Valentine's, and I can always tell with that first show that, that you know, say it's a little, it's not as crisp as, you know, after I've done a show or two starting in February. So it is true being being out of it and off the stage definitely has a, 
takes a toll on just the, the delivery and, uh, of it all. So. Yeah, I agree, Brandon. It, it messes with the uh, with the rhythm, messes with your uh, with your breath control. <laughs> you know, all <laughs> of the above, man. It's stand up, stand, spoken word performance is an incredibly fragile art form, and for people who have not tried to master that, the subtleties. And the fluidness of the way just the shape and size of the room you're in, the environment, the environment can take such a huge, huge toll on it. So it's a very, um, seems easy, standing up talking, seems easy, but it is such an incredibly subtle, subtlety-oriented, detail-oriented art form. And once again, fragile as I'll get out, man. You, right. You could, if you're playing in a band or if you're strumming a guitar, singing, whatever, people don't have to be engaged with you while you're doing that song. They can be talking to their buddy. You know, they can be, you can be drawing a graph on Now, see, when the watermelon's three months old, it's only this big. And then when the, when the song is done, the song, everybody goes, hey, man, that was a good song. Do, do another one. But when it's spoken word, you have to have their undivided attention. Right. They have to really and truly process and envision what you're saying as you're saying it. Otherwise, you don't have the rhythm and the payoff. And we need we need feedback every sentence or two, as opposed to just the end of. Uh, each each song or or the end of each bit, we need feedback the entire time. So so it really makes it a um, a a I don't want to say hard, but I will. It makes it a really hard. I'm the worst one out there doing stand up, and I'm great. So <laughs> you know, let me quantify that a little bit. I'm I'm, I'm awesome. Yeah. But but it is really a a hands on, and the only way to learn it is to do it the wrong way. Right. You know, I mean, there's people are writing a few handbooks these days, do's and don'ts. But unless you're up there in front of that particular crowd on that day, because everyone's different, every crowd's different, every day is different. So it is a, it's it's a very, um, <laughs> it's a tough art form. It, it's tough, and and if you get to the point where you're doing it good, you get so much out of actually doing one of the toughest showbiz gigs there is um, at a higher level. So that's cool. And to top it all off, one of the other great things you get to make people, you get to make people laugh and smile for a living. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. Years and years ago, way back in old-timey days, y'all, and nobody knows this, <laughs> way back in old-timey days, I ran 911 emergency calls in an ambulance. Wow. Yeah, I did that for three years in Jackson, Mississippi. And doing stand-up, when you get home at the end of your work day, then it's an entirely different emotional mindset. You know, you get off work from the ambulance, and you look back at the faux pas or whatever you did wrong because nobody has a perfect work day, and it's a whole different intensity level than looking back on your work day and going, man, I wish I'd have flip-flopped those two words on that joke about the puppy in the car. <laughs> so, yes. so it's quite a, uh, 
as hard as it is it, and as stressful as it seems, it's nothing compared to the intensity level of jobs that matter. Mm-hmm. So, so there's well, that. Uh, let me ask you this. This is Josh. Uh, everything you said was so intriguing. It was like listening to like uh, Einstein give a lecture for the first time when it comes to the arts. Very well put. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> after, after all this time and which is I've known about you for a long time, a matter of fact, you were one of the originals of Zanies here in uh, Nashville. My parents went to see you. I remember them discussing you quite a bit from uh, from the beginning. Um, do you still love Do you still love doing it uh, after all this time? Is it still a thrill for you to to like you know tell a joke and just have a uh, audience light up? Do you still get that passion like when you first had it all together? Yes, I do. I mm-hmm. certainly do, man, because it is such a real and wonderful thing to take a thought and then to wordsmith it, and then to deliver it in such a way that people get a kick out of it. And yeah. so it, it is such a hard art form, man, that I love doing it well. And yeah. it is in me to make people laugh. Let me get this. When I was a little baby, this is my earliest memory in life, my earliest memory, guys, of a home that I lived in. I, as a toddler, I guess two years old, maybe three I lived in a funeral home Wow! in Kosciuszko, Mississippi. We lived upstairs <laughs> in Jordan Funeral Home, Kosciuszko, Mississippi. And I had the run of the place. And to me, it was just where I lived. I had no concept of funerals and all that kind of stuff. But I vividly remember, earliest memory, I remember that I would see sad people come and go from where, from where I lived every day. Obviously, they were coming for funeral services. Um, I had no concept of that, but I had the run of the place, and I can remember this, y'all, and I kid you not, I can remember doing cute little silly things as a toddler, and the crying people would stop crying and come over and smile at me and talk to me. Wow. So you've been hooked so, forever. So I believe that that is part of my compulsion to make people laugh and smile every day. I don't I don't do good around stoic people. I think we all need to be need to be happy and free spirited and pumped up for every single day that God gave us until at least eleven thirty or noon when we realize <laughs> it's gonna suck like yesterday. <laughs> so Yeah. But but really and truly, man, that is my earliest, earliest memory uh, as a child was making people, and now I realize they were at funerals, was making those people smile and come over and talk to me. You know, in retrospect, they needed distraction. They were at a freaking funeral, you know. But, uh, But isn't that the weirdest thing in the world? That is amazing to me to think back on that. It's amazing that you remember that, and plus, uh, it's you know there's one thing for someone like to come see you and purchase a ticket expecting to laugh, but to turn an audience around from sadness to laughter now that's a whole nother ball of yarn. I mean that takes a lot of talent. Well, I don't know. I was just a little baby. Uh, I was a gorgeous little baby. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, but to me it was just you know, and I didn't know what was going on back then. But that literally is my earliest memory was making these people uh, 
laugh and smile at that freaking funeral home. That's, that's so, cool. so how crazy is that? It is, but I appreciate you sharing it. I've never heard anything like it. Definitely, it's very interesting. Um, let me ask you this. This threw me for a loop. Uh, you just made your first appearance on the Grand Ole Opry. How did that happen? That's almost like a sin in its own right. Way back in old-timey days. Way back in old-timey days, in about 1984 or five, something like that, uh-huh. The people who owned Zany's Comedy Club in Nashville brought me from Jackson, Mississippi to Nashville and managed me for several years. I've done more shows at Zany's Nashville than anybody in the history of that showroom. I mm. did 100 appearances on TNN back in old-timey days and then CMT and all that. And we tried to get on the Grand Ole Opry and... 25, 30 years ago, way back then, the people who were booking the Opry told to, told us, they go, we love bees, but we can't have him on the Opry because there's R-rated material in his nightclub act. Oh, wow. So so for many years, we kicked around the the concept of of doing a promotion where I'd go on tour and part of the promotion would be banned from the Grand Ole Opry. <laughs> like Elvis. So, yeah. So so it was it was a lot of fun when we got a call from them um, last January to come up and and do the Opry. So yeah. So that was cool and was rescheduled. They've rescheduled me already, and and also canceled. We were supposed to go up and do two. Opry performances on March 31st in Nashville, mm-hmm. but they yeah. they're having to to curtail that show. So it'll yeah. be it'll be a few more months before we're back up and rolling, and I'll be on again. But what, what an iconic, is, neat place! Yeah, I mean the place to be for for Southern gents such as uh, you and Brandon here. Um, um, well, I try to be a Southern Southern gent too, but. <laughs> Um, what was the one that I, gonna, I had another? Oh, oh yeah, you were supposed to be performing at Zany's Nashville, which is Brandon and I were going to go, but I guess that's canceled too. Or what's what's the scoop with that? We we've been playing phone tag with the owner of Zany's today. Um, I predict, I I feel like we will not come up and do that show. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think just about everything else in Nashville has been postponed. And so I would feel like like it probably is gonna be. Okay. Um and yeah. my and and my management may have may already have gotten that message. But I know they, they talked to them early this morning like, Man, it's it's not looking good, you know. And then I think there were some, some phone tag going on this afternoon, so they may have already done that. So I'll I'll be surprised if we do it. Yeah. Um, so, okay. But I'll be there to do it if we do it. But I'll be surprised <laughs> yeah. if we do. Where did the whole save up thing come from? I've seen on several posters. I was always curious. One time, way back in old timey days, when I was an opening act, when I was the MC, I was playing the comedy corner in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh-huh. And so I'm on stage warming up. I don't even remember who the headliner was, but I was on stage. And I asked these people on the front row, let me back up. During my show, I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. During my set, I would ask, have you ever been to Jackson, Mississippi? 
if you haven't, save up, go for that second honeymoon. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's how it would start. But I would only did it one time in my act, right there at the front when I was doing that. So I'm in Milwaukee, and of course at this time all the comics are looking for a catchphrase. Yeah. And so it's your basic can't see the forest for the trees thing. So anyway, so I asked these people on the front row, are y'all married? Yeah, we're married. Do you have kids? We have five kids. And the lady in the back of the room yelled, save up. <laughs> and they all laughed for a bit. And, went, and I was like, well, heck, there it is right there. Yeah. I'd been doing save up every show for a year, but only one time. And then just a benign little innocent, you have kids, we have five of them. And the lady in the back yelled, save up. And the audience roared and went, well, son of a gun, there it is right there. Mm-hmm. Been there the whole time. That 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 is awesome. I, I've I've always kind of wondered about that. Um, one more question for me, and then uh, Brandon had one. But uh, yeah, uh, the the whole uh, you know us being southern guys and 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 talking with accents and everything. Uh, do you get a good response like when you go everywhere, not just in the south, but like your Wisconsin's or your Midwest or or any other places? I mean, do, are, are those people uh, more reluctant to? Uh, to, to laugh or, or get into it, or, or can uh, Southern people actually be relatable everywhere? Southern people can be relatable everywhere. I do the same act in Seattle or San Francisco or Chicago or Houston or Atlanta um, or Huntsville or Nashville or Orlando. I do the, the same act corner to corner of the country it it does make a difference to people when they're hearing an accent that they're not used to and i'll say this there is such a thing as accent discrimination and when people hear a southern thick southern accent they're like oh my gosh who is this stupid hillbilly i do that when I heard your accent, I'm like, oh, my Lord. <laughs> so, <laughs> but if I heard me say something, I go, that's got to be the stupidest guy. That guy probably misspelled G-E-D. <laughs> so, so it takes a good, sometimes a good 90 seconds to win the audience over because they're having to adjust. First, they, they think I'm faking, you right. know. And then they're like, oh, my gosh, bless his heart, he actually sounds like that. And then they get past the sound, and they listen to what I say, and then that's where they get on board. So depending on where you're at and how strong that prejudice is against Southerners or country folk, however they want to look at it, the Appalachian American. Yeah. Yeah, 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 really. <laughs> but the the content and the delivery speaks for itself and, and this day and age everybody has cable T V, everybody has YouTube and Netflix and the the country is far more educated about other parts of the country and far more educated about the arts. They will they'll know a good comic from a bad one, having never seen one in person, just from what they've been able to see on YouTube and Netflix, et cetera. Yeah. So, so I used to worry about my accent, but then I got, I don't mean to be a bragger, but 
I got good enough at stand-up that it, it doesn't matter at all. And if sure. you've never, ever seen me or heard me, it takes 90 seconds, something like that. And then when they hear what it is I have to say, they're on board. Yeah. So, so that's something I've learned. That's awesome. Yeah, I was just always wondering because, like I said, I'm proud of being Southern, but with the way the whole world senses now, I didn't know if going out of the gate that judge or, or how they approach that. Yeah, but you've got that speech impediment too. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it tongue tied every so often. Yeah, I, yeah, you've got palsy, a, so. Yeah, I have another thing. Mine's not a gift though. It, it usually takes like I, I'm a single man when I go on a date. It usually takes a woman about ninety seconds to figure me out too, and just turn the other way. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> hey, um. I guess yeah, Uber, Uber needs to pay you commission for all the dates you run on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just need my own sticker. <laughs> you, you know your game's not really good when they go, oh, let's both take our cars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think you're cute, but, you know, I'm social distancing right now. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard that one yet. I'm sure it's coming. Friday's coming. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, um, one, one question here and kind of a, a story to share with it, too. I've got a joke that I like telling, talking about being 35 years old. Uh, I like seeing things where they belong, and I was in a bookstore, and I saw uh, Hillary Clinton's autobiography laying on the ground. It didn't belong there. So I just picked it up and put it in the crime section. <laughs> well, um, Everywhere I tell that joke in the South, of course, you know, they, they applaud, they laugh, they give a kick out of it. And then I went up to Indiana, and I told that joke, and the room locked up on me. And uh, so, you know, I had to tagline real quick and get everybody one back over. Of course, I was just like, well, that joke always works in the South. And then everybody's <laughs> like, you know, they're laughing. But um, an advice or a thing I always tell comedians is you got to be ready for you might have a joke that's worked ten times in a row. But you gotta be ready for that moment when you go to tell it somewhere, and the room just oh yeah stares you. Oh and yeah, and, the, it, and there's always those instance, instances waiting on you. Right. That's part of paying dues, man. Paying dues never ever stops. Right. And 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 Brandon, like you're saying, man, it's a fluid fluid situation, and what worked perfectly the last eight gigs in a row sometimes just goes right past them. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of the art form is to recover and to be able to shift direction and to be um, pliable, if you will. Not You cannot be a slave to your material. That's another important thing. You've got to have material. You've got to have full show worth of stuff to say, but you cannot go up and recite that. You can't mm-hmm. be a slave to it. Otherwise, it's just you telling jokes you wrote. Right. You have to go up and be in the vibe of that audience. You got to be on their energy level. You got to take the little trip with them, and you got to be able to mix stuff up and do it out of order. And if something happens or is said in the room, that is germane to a bit that you have that was going to be 10 minutes later, bring it out now and do it, you know, and Mm. make it apply. That's what makes live performance so good is that there are so many variables and so much unexpected stuff that happens 
that dictates that you have a different result. And that's what makes no two live performances the exact same, unless you try to make them the exact same, and I don't think you should. Right. I think it should be catered to that audience with that storm going on outside or that squeaky fan in the ceiling or the lady with the laugh that sounds like a donkey. <laughs> you know, you have to be able to craft that show into that particular DNA of all its own performance, and that's what makes it magic. Hmm. Well, I appreciate you because actually that's the question I was going to roll into is, you know, advice or tidbits you might have to someone who's new to comedy. And I mean, you, you went into it beautifully there, so uh, you, you covered where I want to go with that. I appreciate that, sir. Well, 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 thank you, man. Another one, though, was build scar tissue. You have oh. to get your heart broken on stage a thousand times. You have to go up there and and give them something that you wrote and came up with that you believed was going to be great and have them hate it and go, dude, you're stupid. Why would you do this to your family? (laughs) And you've got to to be able to recover from that and go back on stage again and try again. Mm -hmm. So it's about building scar tissue. you got to have your heart broken so many times that you create the illusion that you ain't afraid of them. Mm, all right. So that that's a biggie there, and and it's always there. There's always a lousy set coming up. They asked Steve Martin, the great, wonderful genius Steve Martin, why he quit doing stand up, and his answer was Late Show Friday. Because in the club circuit, Late Show Friday, people don't get there till ten o'clock at night. They worked all day long, they got off work, they busted tail going to get something to eat and to make it to your show. It's 10 o'clock at night. Ordinarily, they're in bed. They've been drinking all evening, partying, and it is such a low-energy, hard-to-work crowd. So that is always hanging over you, always. There's always something that's going to go wrong or something that's going to put you back in your place which is good because that makes you care more. And you can tell the guys that care as opposed to the ones that are just phoning it in or reciting. It's a whole different dynamic in the performance. And I do believe it's a performance art. I really do. I I think it is a performance art. I think you need, as you're telling that story, I think your emotions and your delivery needs to be equal to what that story is, to the intent of, into the the excitement factor of what you're saying just then. And I think you need to act it out, if you will, and relive it so that you paint a little movie scene in people's heads. Yeah. So, and that's just my theory, by the way. That's great. That's like TED Talk worthy right there. Mm-hmm. You'll fill <laughs> their brains to the brim. You're so wise. Well, you know, it's, and it comes from doing it for for so many years and for striving to do it good. I, I care when I'm on that stage, yeah. and, um, which makes it better or worse, depending, and it puts <laughs> yeah. a whole lot more pressure on you, but it makes that show so much better, and it makes you memorable, and the yeah. people leave there digging it. 
That's it. I mean, I, I always remembered you, and I you know appreciate finally getting you on here. But uh, you can tell who cares. Uh, you get more invested in somebody that's that's throwing it all out there. Because like you said, it is. It's to me as a person that can play music, and as a person that's dabbled in comedy myself. Uh, music, you can miss a note, and you're going to have three or four, how many other guys there to pick you up. But if you're on stage, it's you and the world, literally. And it, to me, there's nothing more beautiful. I think it's the best art form you could ever pursue. you got to have the thickest skin ever. Yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you do. And, and you need backup. You need to be blessed. You can't do it alone. So, And I yeah. acknowledge that God gave me my gift. And I dedicate my shows to him every night, and I ask him to walk with me on stage. So That's beautiful. That's awesome. I was pumped to have on the podcast this week the front man of a two-piece rocking group that uh, pretty much was a staple in my youth. And I'm glad to see they're still doing it after 30 years. Got a new album dropping in April called Lifers. I'm talking about Local H. Now, you may remember them from their uh, smash head that is still played everywhere to this day, Bound for the Floor. You know, you just don't get it. Keep it copacetic. I'm not going to uh, kill your ears with my vocal constraints. But anyway, Local H is still going strong, and Scott was awesome enough to uh, speak with me about his new album and uh, some of the new songs on it. Um, You know, like I said, blistering two-man band setup. Scott often played both guitar and bass through an extra pickup on his guitar. His drummer, Ryan Harding, pounds out the rest of the sound. Still going strong after all this time. Was really stoked to get to talk to him about their new album coming out and what he's doing to stay safe during these trying times with the coronavirus uh, from shows getting canceled and all that kind of stuff so that's also coming up and that's the next interview here on the josh belcher uncharted podcast very very cool interview was glad to be a part of it anyway uh, thank you so much scott local has been a fixture a musician a fan of rock and it's uh, best form you guys have definitely uh you know coming to face thank you um new album's going to be great life for april 10th but uh this this new song holds that thought uh to me i felt a little bit of rockabilly a little bit of grunge uh, a great tune man uh thanks for sharing it with us thank you rockabilly huh well to me i that kind of led towards the uh, the beginning i felt a little bit of that in it. I, I probably that probably wasn't intentional but i was like man i just kind of had kind of like a little like a old screw but it was a little gritty but it was like like a little bit of a feel to that like maybe back in the day like sleepy labeef if you've ever heard of him probably yeah. probably not yeah, yeah yeah i mean there's definitely sort of a like a, a sort of rockabilly riff right there in, in the middle uh just before the bridge um yeah i hadn't really thought of thought of it like that yeah i just i i i, I dove into it um i've been training for a 5k so i stuck it in the old uh, earpiece I gave it a thorough listen. And I was like, "Yeah, I can, I can dig this. I can I can get over that last uh, five grueling minutes." Uh, Good. This is, you know, just powered the way through it, man. I really, really uh, appreciated the tune. Uh, so, um, what was the inspiration for it? Tell us a little bit about this song. Um, there, are, I was listening to Love's first record, and they they mm-hmm. do a song on there called uh, "Little Red Book," and yeah. I was thinking that would be a great cover. And then I found out. It was a cover. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I was kind of like, well, you can't really cover a cover. So I just kind of 
just wanted to write a song that had the same feeling, you know, that sort of like bouncy type of propulsion to it. And that was that was kind of it. That that was all it was was us just kind of trying to write our own little red book. Yep. Well, well done. I think you did it justice and then some. So way to do that because uh, in an era where fortunately we're all rebooting everything, you decided to take the path less traveled. So good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right. But, yeah, but awesome. Um, so how are you handling the COVID-19? How, how's that uh, going on with you uh, wherever you're at? Well, we had to cancel the last four dates of this tour that we were just on with Soul Asylum. Uh-huh. Uh, so, I, you know, I think we were luckier than most. I, I saw some bands that were just getting ready to go out on tour. I saw some bands that were uh, had tours that were, uh, you know, based around South by Southwest, and they had to scrap all that stuff. So we only missed four days, but it's still a bummer. It's still a real sure. bummer. So yeah. and then we spent like, you know, three days coming back home because we were in San Diego. So it was like, all right, let's wait until we get as far away from Chicago as we possibly can, and then let's mm-hmm. turn around and drive back. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Let's just, let's just take a real long distance trip, just stop what we're doing, and come yeah. all the way back. Yeah, right. I got you. But as far as like what health and everything is, is there? And you're immediately uh, your immediate family. Everybody's doing okay. Yeah, you know everybody's fine. Like, girl, yeah. You know, it's how are you? Hey, hey, hanging in there. Like I said, working constantly, breathing around people, uh, trying to do the distance things. They say um, went from uh, handshakes to fist bumps. Now we kind of like to touch elbows a little bit. Maybe if we need to greet each other, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think at at this point everybody's got to take this thing seriously, or else. You know, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows how much yeah. longer it could go? Uh, I agree. Um, you know, I mean, it be, sucks, but, but let's not make it suck any, any more than it already has to. Yeah, I think just let it run its course. Try to avoid, you know, you know, to kind of pay attention and be aware of your surroundings. You know, bathe, obviously wash your hands. You know, yeah. if we're, we've been taught to do since, you know, childhood, and I think yeah. we'll be fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just, just your basics. You know, nothing Big Bird didn't show us. Right, Rogers, right, so, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like man, you, uh, was it Steve Albini uh, helped you guys with this album? What, what, did, what did he contribute? We, uh, we he engineered a, a good chunk of most of the songs on the record. So mm-hmm. we went in and we did a couple of days with him, and we'd never worked with him before. Yeah. So it was kind of the thing, like you know, it's about time we do something with him. And so we went in and we did, I think, seven or eight songs with him and and it was just you know we did it live and and i wish we could have done more i think maybe next time we'll book some more days with him and uh maybe do a, a complete record there but this is one of those things where we just kind of wanted to do it at a bunch of different studios and take a bunch of different approaches and put it all together and, and see what happened we didn't want to make a total steve albini record but we certainly wanted to get his input in there sure yeah, because his, his approach to, to producing and hands-on, just he, he's one of the rare birds that actually cares about the art, not just making the almighty dollar. So. Well, you, you know, he's he's very uh, – he, he he constantly sits there and acts like, you know, he doesn't have an opinion. And, he you know, he's like, look, I'm just here to record it. I, I don't know the song. I have no opinion. It's like, all right, but you've heard it. And, you know, every yeah. human has an opinion on something they hear. And then you <laughs> sort of just – coaxed it out of him, and then you find out that he, he does have opinions, and he does know when a take was good, and, you know, he, he'll start to 
give it to you if he really thinks that you want to hear it. Sure. Yeah, he he, he didn't make it be this renowned by just just sitting on his. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I totally I feel that. But um, this is what the thing that threw me for like because uh, uh, I'm not I'm not trying to date myself or you, but when I first heard local H, I was in seventh grade. I just started playing drums. Cut so was I. Yeah, <laughs> cut yeah. my teeth with you guys. Uh, um, and you know, he, I was like, I looked at that. I was like, man, it's, it's, this is your thirtieth year, right? Yes. Just I just threw me for a loop. I was like, man, has it been that long? Because it, it's because. It doesn't feel like that. <laughs> well, I mean, by, by the time that you started listening to us, it, it was probably – it wasn't that long ago. I mean, it wouldn't have been 30 years ago that you started listening to us. Yeah, no, 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 correct, yeah. But, but yeah, you know, we've been doing this 30 years ago in April that we played our first show. And Wow. So, yeah. And yeah, that's awesome. Congrats. I mean, is it still – honestly – is it exciting? Do you still love it the same, or, is, or do you feel different now? Or, or what, what what has changed from then to now? What what what's the difference? Not, not not a lot, you know. Just I mean, we were really excited to get out there. We 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 just were doing this tour. We were out in February and some of March, and we were really just getting into it. And we were kind of making this record. We also kind of quarantined ourselves for the last year or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, Going away, working on the record, trying not to play a lot of shows, sort of trying to make people miss us. So it was kind of like we were just starting to get our groove again, and you know, just kind of got cut down. I was like, "Not nah, go back home." Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> maybe make another record. I don't know what yeah. to do right now. So yeah, life is it's dropping April tenth, right? April tenth, right? Yeah, groove, groove. I'm, I'm very looking looking forward to that and, and the rest of the uh, rest of the song ensemble. It's full. Album, it's not EP, it's full. Uh, how no. many songs? Yeah, 11 songs. Groovy. Cannot wait to uh, to dive into that. And, um, you know, and I know touring is uh, on halt right now, but do you think uh, in the foreseeable future you might be coming back to Nashville to see us here? Absolutely. We are, we we have an idea for, we had, we had some dates booked, so they're still booked, but, you know, it's one of those things that's, that's it, it, things change hour to hour. You know, so yeah, who knows? Hopefully, yeah. uh, you know, we can get some kind of half-assed miracle, and we'll be ready to go when the dates we have booked are ready to go. And we've got we're going out with a great band that we really love, and and you know, I just I don't know. It's it's not looking good. It's fifty-fifty at this point. It, it, it's really crazy. Yeah, it's like it's like pretty much right now. It's just a waiting game that nobody's really ever seen. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know. In this country, yeah. Anyway, I mean, but. the closest I can think of to it in in the years that I've been doing it was uh, when 9/11 happened, and you know we had to cancel shows and had to move back release dates, and you know, yeah, all bands had to cancel shows, and and this is the closest thing I can think of to that. Yeah. But you know, this seems worse. You know, it's like you know, bands had to cancel shows and things were different for a while, but, you know, restaurants and people that work at restaurants and bars and clubs, they weren't losing their job, you know? I mean, this just seems like, like, this could just be really bad. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm trying to stay optimistic, but, like, when you, when you stop right, at, like, right. a Walmart or a conglomerate like that, and there's nothing to eat or nothing, nothing, you're just like, wow, this is the craziest thing I've experienced, so. Yeah, you know, it doesn't help to be doom and gloom about it, but, I mean, this is... 
the closest thing I can think of is 9-11. And, and you know, we got through that. So Yeah, I agree. Or did we? Or maybe we didn't. I, I don't know. Well, we'll see what we, we've, yeah, we've rolled with the punches, I think. I think we'll do the same with this. I think we'll, you know, we just, we always do what we do to keep uh, keep striving. But in times of these, you know, it's like, it's music like you guys are making that are keeping us through it. So, you know, thank you for the art. I'm, I'm sad you can't play it aloud right now in front of people, but, you know, that'll all come to pass. So. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, one thing I want to ask you, it's, it's one more thing, and like I said, I appreciate you talking to me a lot. Uh, it was really cool. It's an honor. Um, but I've always wondered, like, you know, being a two-piece band, it always sounded like you were playing guitar and bass at the same time. What was the secret with that? Because there's never any bass live. Were you recording with bass, or did you just do something with your guitar where it sounded like you were playing guitar and bass? Well, there were – when we decided to try it as a two-piece, yeah. it was – like, how do we still make it heavy? And so the idea was to put a bass pickup in the guitar oh, wow. and, and have that pick up the bottom two strings, and then you'd pump those bottom two strings like like a bass line and then have a separate jack that goes into a bass amp. Okay. So that, so that when you see us, all those amps on stage are there for a reason, and it's just to make it sound like, you know, it's a, like a four-piece band up there. Sure. Yeah, it's it's awesome to have that much racket just coming from two guys. I mean, I'm a drummer, so I'm all about you know about the pounds. But I was like, it sounds like there's more than just two guys up there always. So I was always just kind of curious about that. Yeah, that was very innovative. You must have been a creator of that, man. I've never heard anybody else that's done that really. Um, maybe. I mean, at the time <laughs> that, that we did it, I, I hadn't heard of anybody that had done it. I mean, there were two piece bands. There were bands like Flat Duo Jets and the Spinanes. And uh, yeah. uh, a band that, like, really inspired me to do it was the Chickasaw Mud Puppies. But none of those bands were playing, like, what I would call heavy rock that mm-hmm. we were playing. You know, it was either sort of rockabilly type of stuff or, in the case of somebody like the Spinanes, it was, you know, indie rock. And, you know, we like indie rock a lot, and we sure. have a lot in common with that, but we also wanted to be a little heavier and sometimes a little darker. And so we're trying to figure out how to get that bottom end. And, you know, we didn't know any bass players. They all had mullets. So it was, it was <laughs> yeah, uh, had no room for any of that. Right. Um, one com- compliment I'm going to give you, I've always wanted, I've always thought this way, but, um, and it's no discredit to you and your music, but all these rumors and people are floating around, you know, should have, could have, would have, if Nirvana ever got back together, I always think they should have picked you as their vocalist if they ever go back on another tour. Well, they got John McCauley, so uh, John can do it. John's done a really good job with those guys. Yeah, he did a little thing. What, they called it Dear Vonner for a little bit, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He front he he fronted. He's he's sung for or played with and sung with Nirvana at a, a couple points now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that or seen that. Have you? Uh, I, I've heard him, and, I, and I, I, I I haven't heard him with him, but obviously I've listened to him minus that, and I could see that. But well, I always, look, it's like, yeah, do what? Look it up on, online. And, yeah. you know, he does. Mo- he usually does most of the the in Euro songs with them. He's, cool. actually, he's actually on the new record. That's he sings, awesome. He sings with us on one of the songs called High, Wide, and Stupid. Dude, how cool is that? Hey, that's great. Very cool. uh, yeah, that's awesome. I just, like I said, every time I hear your voice, even back in the day, I always kind of like did a little comparison. I was like, if they were to ever go back at it full, full, full on, I thought I always thought you'd be like the perfect lead guy. But I'll definitely check that out. We did a thing for Halloween a couple of years ago, and we uh, 
we did a Nirvana set, and that's pretty funny too. Yeah, right on. And plus, you're the only artist I've ever known that uses the word copacetic in a song. So good for you. Thank you. Yeah, I always thought that was groovy. All right, that wraps up week one, the first quarantine edition of Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast. Special thanks to our guest this week, comedian Killer Bees, frontman of Local H, Scott Lucas, and my co-host, church comedian Brandon Skelton. I want to thank you for listeners for listening. I've got a lot of free time now, so I hope you really enjoyed this. Took your mind off of some things, some stress and worries. And uh, if you keep listening to them, I'm going to keep making them. If you know anybody you think might be a good guest, have them hit me up, joshbelcher at hotmail.com. You remember, I love you for you and where you're at in life. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll catch you later down the line. Excuse me. This is Josh Belcher, Uncharted Podcast. Thanks.